0: Our Old Testament reading is from the 10th chapter of Zechariah, verses 6 through 12. I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back, because I have compassion on them, and they shall be as though I had not rejected them. For I am the Lord their God, and I will answer them. Then Ephraim shall become a mighty warrior, and their hearts shall be glad as with wine. Their children should see it and be glad. Their hearts will rejoice in the Lord. And I will whistle for them and gather them in, for I have redeemed them, and they shall be as many as they were before, though I scattered them among the nations. Yet in far countries they shall remember me. And with their children they shall live and return. I will bring them home from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria. And I will bring them from the land, bring them to the land of Gilead and to Lebanon till there is no room for them. He shall pass through the sea of troubles and strike down the waves of the sea, and all the depths of the Nile shall be dried up. The pride of Assyria shall be laid low, and the scepter of Egypt shall depart. I will make them strong in the Lord, and they shall walk in His name, declares the Lord." This is the word of the Lord. The Epistle reading is from the fourth chapter of Acts, verses 1 through 12. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about five thousand. On the next day their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders... and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other, no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Our gospel reading for tonight is from Matthew chapter 12. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he, he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. This is the gospel of the Lord before you have a seat would you please pray with me lord god we thank you for your word especially this night the word that reminds us of our salvation in jesus we pray that you'd open our hearts stir our faith remind us of your great love for we pray in the name of our savior jesus amen and now would you please be seated well we've been in this connects series the word that connects for the last few weeks and some of these great themes of the bible the themes that we need to remember as we look at individual passages so we don't get led astray. These great themes that we see all throughout the scriptures. We started the first week. The wonderful truth that we looked at in Deuteronomy as God created his people and as God declared it good in Genesis, he declared it something different in Deuteronomy. The words were these, you are holy, you are chosen, and you are God's treasured possession." And when God speaks a word, that word is true. Brothers and sisters, we are holy, chosen, and treasured. Last week, we were reminded of the sin that so easily entangles us, and the fact that God needed to form his people. And he did so by sending the law and the prophets, that the expectation is that the people of God will live and behave as the people of God, that we who are declared holy and chosen and treasured would live that out every day of our lives. God forms his people. And this week we get to the heart of the matter, the heart of the scriptures themselves, the true message, what the scriptures are all about from beginning to end. They're about God saving his people, the work that God has done for us because we couldn't follow the law perfectly, because we weren't people who were moldable and formable. Instead, we were people who would go our own way. God didn't dismiss us, but declared us holy, chosen and treasured and sent his son Jesus, the word made flesh that connects us to God. So that we would be reconnected with him now and for eternity. This is the heart of the scriptures. This is what we see today. This is what we have the opportunity to focus on today. Today, we talk about Jesus. So if I'm a little excited tonight, you'll know why. Right? As a pastor, this is the only message that we have to declare, the only message we have to proclaim. In fact, some of you guys know Wally Gerber. Wally usually worships over in Fishers. Every Sunday, Wally says to me, so you're going to talk about Jesus again this week? And every Sunday, I say the same thing. It's the only message I have. And he says, you might mix something else in, but that's it. It's the only name given under heaven by which we must be saved. This is the message of the church, the message of Jesus Christ. This is the heart of the matter. And, and you heard our readings tonight, and you might say, those are the readings that were chosen to talk about Jesus' mission and ministry, to talk about what Jesus has done. In particular, Matthew chapter 12. I mean, why wouldn't you pick John three sixteen? Anyone heard of that one? Right? For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Or what about John chapter one, in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning and then fast forward a little bit. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Why not use that one to talk about Jesus? Well, the truth is brothers and sisters, we could pick just about any verse in the Bible because it's truly the core, the heart, of the message of the scriptures, that we approach the Bible with this understanding that it's always trying to teach us about what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, about what God has done to reconnect us to him. And so Matthew chapter 12, we could say, is as good as any. But I think it's even better than just any. Because it tells us something unique that we might forget about what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, that we might forget about who Jesus is. In fact, I... I think it's always important for us to be reminded of who Jesus is and to be reminded that it goes beyond even our Sunday school understanding, and that as we approach this, we know him even better, and we know and see him even more in the scriptures for God's purpose, that we might fall more in love with him each time. Now, again, many of you have known Jesus since the time you were really little, and you've walked with him through different seasons of your own lives, and so you know him pretty well, but, but I wanna tell you, recently, I've uh, I've attended several funerals. And every time I attend a funeral, I'm always struck by, by the eulogy, and I'm always struck by the words that are written on the back of the worship folder or the words that are written in the newspaper or on the website. Because when you read this bio of the person, when you read about their lives, it can be someone that you've known for a long time. And inevitably, at a funeral, you learn something about them. Right? Just this afternoon, we had a funeral over in Fisher's. Bob Dannenberg, a disciple of our congregation. I've known Bob since he joined the church. I didn't know that he had 13 patents to his name for different electrical switches and things that he had designed. I learned something about Bob today. I can't share it with him in the same way because he's no longer with us, but instead dwelling with his father in eternity. I learned something at that funeral. We always learn things at funerals. You even learn about those who are closest to you. I, I learned at my father's funeral that my father and his brothers were all given middle names of baseball players because my grandfather loved baseball. For real. And so my oldest uncle was named, middle name was Mel because of Mel Ott. And my father was Warren because of Warren Spahn. I thought that was pretty cool. I thought, see, baseball runs in our lineage. You learn something. Even about people, you know, very well, well, this isn't a funeral, this isn't a eulogy, but I think the same is true for us of Jesus because every time I'm at a funeral, I am reminded to get to know the people that I love a little bit better. I'm reminded to get to know people and to hear their stories because I'm reminded that there are things that I don't know and that I could learn and I wanna learn them so I can explain and ask questions or so that I can understand and ask questions about them, that they can explain certain things of their life while they can still share. The same is true of Jesus of this word that continues to speak to us, this word that teaches us who Jesus is. I want to know him well. I want to know him and the one who has come to save me. And so he reveals himself through the pages of Scripture. And every time I open the Bible, this living word speaks to me about who he is. And the same is true for you, that the more we know about the Scriptures, the more we understand and marvel at what Jesus has done for us. So let's look at some of the things that the text tells us. First of all, it tells us that Jesus is chosen. It's right in the very first verse of our reading for tonight. In the very first verse, sorry, in the very first verse that's quoted in our reading for tonight, because Matthew in chapter twelve is quoting Isaiah 42, and he says, "This, behold, my servant whom I have chosen." And we hear that word "chosen," and the word "chosen" is really important as we understand who Jesus is. You see, the word chosen, we typically know. In fact, you know the word chosen in multiple languages. Don't believe me? You ever heard the word Christ? Christ is a Greek word. It just means chosen. Have you ever heard the word Messiah? Nod your heads if you've heard it. Be with me here, people. All right, good. Thank you. That's the Hebrew word for chosen. Chosen. Yeah, they both mean the anointed one, the one that God has hand selected. And so here, when this speaks of Jesus being chosen, when it speaks of the one whom God has chosen, we're reminded that it's pointing us to Jesus. We're reminded that Jesus has been appointed for this since the foundation of the world, that this is truly Jesus' work, that he is the chosen one. He is the anointed one. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And we hear Jesus Christ so often that we even start to think that Christ is somehow Jesus' last name. It's not. It's his title. It's what he has done. He is the anointed one. He is the chosen one. He is the one that God has hand-selected to be our Savior. And it says that he is hand-selected to be his servant, right? Behold, my servant whom I have chosen and there's a little translation thing here that's kind of interesting. Just bear with me for a second. There's a little translation thing that's interesting is that the word for servant is the same word that's used for son. And so he says, behold, my son, my my servant, whom I have chosen. And it's important for us to note that because it explains the second part of this verse. My beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. This is the beloved son of God as we would say, the second person of the Trinity who has been with God from the beginning, has been with him since the foundations were laid. The very word which was spoken at creation is the second person of the Trinity that God has always connected with his people through his son. That's what John was writing about in John chapter one when he said the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That God connects to us through his Son, that this this is the work of Jesus, that he is the one who is chosen for this purpose. And lest we should see the agony which he endures, lest we should see his work on the cross and think that somehow it's because the Father wished to spite him, we hear over and over again in the Scriptures that which began in the Old Testament is continued in the New, that the Father loves him. And the Father has always loved him. He doesn't punish Jesus. He's not trying to spite Jesus. He's not trying to get rid of Jesus. He loves Jesus. And so the Father then teaches us that Jesus is here for a different purpose, that all that's happening on the cross is for a different purpose, that he's been hand-selected for this from time and eternity, and he's been loved for time and eternity, and that he holds this unique position. The work that he does is the work that only the Son can do, and He does it willingly. Hear that again. What Jesus does, He does willingly. Not only out of obedience to the Father, but because God so loved the world, that He loved you this way. And so this is the work of Jesus. And this is what Jesus has done to save us. And the Bible has always spoken of it this way, that Jesus is chosen to serve. He does the dirty work. He does the work which is the get-in-the-mud work. He does the work which is difficult. He does the work which is the blood, sweat, and tears work. He is the true servant. He's a servant. He's a servant like no other. Because the unique position that he has means that he will not only serve, but will die as a servant. So again, as we're reminded of who Jesus is, as we're learning again about who Jesus is, as we're being reminded of the work of Jesus and seeing it anew, we're being reminded that in his death, we learn what Jesus is all about. In his death, and I say this a lot, we see God as he wishes to be seen. This is the work of Jesus. He's the Isaiah 53 guy. Remember Isaiah 53, we read it a lot during the Lenten season. We read it a lot during Good Friday and before Easter Sunday. We read that passage because it speaks to us of a suffering servant, of the one who has been stricken, smitten, and afflicted. We are reminded of what Jesus does for us as the servant who will bear the weight of the world. It's from that passage that we read, by his stripes, by his wounds, We are healed. He's the Isaiah 53 guy. He's he's the Isaiah 9 guy, right? The one that we hear about uh, every Christmas. Isaiah 9 is the one that is sung. He is wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting father. He's that one. And and that passage tells us that the government will be on his shoulders. And I'll I'll admit, when I was a boy, I used to think that meant that the government was going to be built on his shoulders like he was going to do like the atlas thing right if you remember atlas the world is on his shoulder like he was going to be that guy i know i know i understand things in a weird way and i always have but that actually means the government is going to come down on him which is exactly what he foretold would happen which is exactly what happened that he was put to death according to the law of the land that he endured this He's the Isaiah 9 guy. Not only that, he's the Psalm 22 guy, the word that he quotes from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus cries out, reminding his disciples and all who would follow after him to go to Psalm 22 and to be reminded that generations before, God had said this would happen. This has always been the work of Jesus, that this is always what God's beloved servant would do. That he would suffer and he would die. Psalm 22 is a brutal word, speaking of all of his bones being out of joint, speaking of a thirst which is unquenchable, speaking of an agonizing death. Jesus is that kind of servant. That's what Jesus was chosen for. And I just picked three, brothers and sisters. We could go throughout the scriptures and be reminded of these prophecies of what Jesus would do, but they they will suffice for us this evening, suffice to remind us of what Jesus, the chosen servant, has done, and then to understand that all of this is done so that we, we could be God's holy, chosen, and treasured people, so that we could be declared righteous. So that we could be declared sinless, so that we could know the love of God the Father now and for eternity, so that we would be reconnected with Him. This is why Jesus has done this work. We are chosen to be loved because Jesus has chosen to be the servant. We are chosen to be loved because God the Father has chosen the Son to be the servant and to be the Savior of all, that God did this for us. We deserve something else. We who, by nature, are sinful and unclean. And hopefully I'm not telling you anything about yourself that you don't already know. And yet it's a word that's difficult to hear. To be reminded of our own sin and our own separation. To be reminded that though God had created us and formed us, we went our own way like sheep gone astray. And so what has happened? Well, we go back to Isaiah 53. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What does that mean? It means that God has taken our sins, our iniquities. That's what the word means. He has taken our sins and laid them on Jesus. The punishment that he endured, it wasn't his, it was ours. Or as the Apostle Paul would write generations later, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. He took our sins, the sins which Jesus had never experienced, and laid them on Jesus, that he became our sins, that he took them into himself, that he would be punished for them, that the price would be paid, or as we sing, that the wrath of God would be satisfied, so that we, brothers and sisters, would know righteousness, would know what it means to be right before God, to not only be sinful and unclean, but we would know what it was like to be redeemed and forgiven, that we would understand this word spoken into our lives is the word that then becomes who we are, that we are holy and we are chosen and we are treasured, that this is the work of Jesus and he doesn't quarrel with the task. And so if we go back to Mark 12, quoting Isaiah 42, he doesn't quarrel with the task. He doesn't cry out in the streets like someone who wants attention to tell everyone, I'm so wonderful. Instead, he sets that aside and he willingly goes forward as a servant, the chosen servant, the loved servant, and he does it for you so that you would know the character of God, gentle, compassionate, and persistent. So that in those moments when you feel like a bruised reed or a smoldering wick, so that in those moments when you feel like you're at life's end and you're saying, I can't take any more, when you're at the end of your rope, when you feel like the guilt of your sin is crushing and that everyone's going to know that you're a phony and a fraud, so when you feel the weight of all that happens around you and the brokenness of the world, so when you're enduring the pain that comes from knowing difficulty, when you're sitting at a funeral and grieving the loss of a loved one, when you're in those moments where you say there's got to be something more than this, that you would be reminded of a verse like this. In a bruised reed he will not break. and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out until he brings justice to victory. Until that day, brothers and sisters, when there are no more smoldering wicks or bruised reeds, when there is no more pain or guilt that is experienced, for he has taken them away. And in that day, brothers and sisters, we will once again dwell in the presence of Jesus. And we will look on him and say, this is the one that I have gotten to know in the scriptures. This is the one who I have gotten to know in the blessing of what he's done for me. This is the chosen one who has been chosen to serve and who has chosen out of love to give his all for me so that I might be loved, so that his word might come true. And one last thing, brothers and sisters, This text for us reminds us that in him even the Gentiles will find hope, which means that all nations, even us, will be included in this picture, that this is a message for us to say in the midst of life's difficulties, we still have hope because in Jesus, we are reconnected with God forever. And so brothers and sisters, it's a chance for us to reconnect with Jesus, with the heart, of the scriptures to be reminded of who he is and to once again be amazed at what he has done for us to see the word that connects jesus who reconnects us with our heavenly father would you please pray with me as we celebrate what god has done lord jesus how good you are to us and there are those moments and times in our lives when we are bruised reeds and smoldering wicks there are those times in our lives when we experience pain and difficulty, when we experience loss and longing. We lay those before you for we know that you are gentle and compassionate. We know that you are strength in weakness. We see what you have done for us to remove our sin and guilt, to make all things new, to open up eternity where we can dwell forever in your love. And so Lord, as your people this night, we pray that you'd hear our prayer, our rejoicing in your salvation. Lord, that you would always know that we, your people, rejoice in what you have called us to be, holy, chosen, and treasured. In the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.